This is the Championship Chat Podcast, your home of news, views and debate from England's second tier. Hello and welcome to the latest episode of the Championship Chat Podcast. I'm your host, Elliot Jackson, and I'm joined as always by George Smith. George, how are you? Not bad, mate. Not bad. Just about mentally preparing myself ready for the League One playoffs, never mind the Championship ones. How about you, dare I ask, after a, a challenging weekend, shall we say? I am tired. I am. I have been on solo parenting duty this weekend. My better half is on her Hindu in Birmingham, and it's fair to say that I have come to the realization that any single parent should be given a knighthood instantly. I've not <laughs> eaten in four days. No, that's not true. But yeah, it's difficult. It's fair to say I'm very tired, and if my usual levels of in- expertise and analysis have deserted me for this podcast. I do apologise, but hopefully there are mitigating circumstances. Nonetheless, I am all caught up on what has been a very busy weekend. Obviously, I haven't been at work because Blackburn Rovers play on Monday evening as we record on Sunday night. So I've had plenty of time to catch up on all the weekend action and I'm really looking forward to chatting through a very eventful weekend with you, George. As always, a reminder to make sure you subscribe to this podcast feed, which you can find on all your usual platforms, and follow us on Twitter and Instagram at ChampChatPod24. A massive thank you, as always, to our sponsors, Cards Accepted, for supporting the podcast this season. If you're looking to take car payments with no contract or monthly fees, visit cardsaccepted.co.uk. They provide a discount on the RRP of all sum-up devices, so make sure you check them out. And I'm delighted to say that Cards Accepted will be sponsoring the podcast again next season. So again, a massive thank you to them for their support going into next season, which we're hoping will be bigger and better for the Championship Chat podcast. But on today's pod, it's the penultimate weekend of the season. We've got a promotion, two relegations and plenty more drama to get our teeth stuck into. This is the Championship Chat podcast. George, we'll start with the headline news, which was Sheffield United's promotion in midweek. They beat West Brom to secure their place in the Premier League. They beat Preston North End 4-1 at the weekend in a a carnival atmosphere at Bramall Lane. First and foremost, let's address the the promotion. Fantastic achievement from Paul Heckenbottom's squad uh, and, and his staff, especially when you consider, A, where he picked the team up, obviously having really struggled under Slavisa Jukanovic at the back end of well, at the mid portion of, of last season, you know, there was a lot of concern about some of the noises that came out and the way they transitioned into Hecking Bottom, which was definitely badly done in terms of from a, a PR perspective, you would be concerned as a fan. When you consider all the off-field issues that have been well documented this season, being placed under a transfer embargo since January and general concerns about how the club is running day to day with a takeover looming, to have put that to one side, to have reached the FA Cup semi-final and to have achieved promotion with this squad. A very well put together squad, I think. I think they used the loan market really well. They've, they've got great depth, Sheffield United. And that's really come to the fore. And they have consistently been the second best team in the championship. I think, in honest analysis, if there was a cup final against a Middlesbrough or a Luton, would Sheffield United be heavy, heavy favourites? I don't think so. I don't think there's a lot between them and Borough and Luton when all three teams are at their absolute top level. But that's not how you get promoted. Getting promoted is about consistency as well. And while Sheffield United's ceiling might be the similar height to those other teams I've just said, clearly their floor is far higher, which is why they've picked up more points, why they've been consistently the best, second best team in the championship. 
and Paul Heckenbottom deserves fantastic, fantastic praise for the job he has done since he picked that club up. They haven't had buckets of money to spend. You know, they they bought Anel Amahadzic, which was a fantastic appointment. Well, a fantastic signing piece of recruitment. When you look at what they paid in the return, he's already a Premier League footballer in standard and probably would command a, you know double the price they paid for him. And outside of that, they've complemented that with loans. Yes, they'll be paying a decent chunk of Kieran Clark's wages. The same with Doyle and McAtee. But it's good recruitment. They've done it on a budget compared to most teams that are in their second season of parachute payments. And I do think that Paul Heckenbottom deserves a lot of praise for the role he has done in getting Sheffield United back into the Premier League as fast as they have. Yeah, absolutely. You know, you, you summed it up perfectly at the very beginning of that. They have consistently been the second best in the division all season long behind Burnley. You know, they fully, fully deserve their achievement of getting back into the Premier League. And, you know, for, for Sheffield United, it would have been quite easy, couldn't it, really, after the way last season ended so agonisingly in that playoff semi-final, second leg at Nottingham Forest. It would have been so easy to have suffered a hangover and, you know, for the for the club potentially to have ripped everything up and started from scratch again. They didn't do that. They recruited very shrewdly in the summer. You know, like you said, they didn't have buckets and buckets to spend like a lot of people who, you know, are not, you know, looking at Sheffield United closely, just, you know, a general fan of the division or of another club not really paying much attention. But the players haven't, in truth. And, you know, you look at what they did last summer. They only signed five players, four of whom were on loan. One of them left Bramwell Lane in January. That was Reda Kadra. So, you know, Amma Hodzic, Tommy Doyle, James McAtee, really, they are the main three that have really boosted that squad. Kieran Clark, obviously, has uh, missed a lot of the season through injury, but he's certainly contributed when he has been fit. So, you know, the Blades won permanent signing last summer, and that's, you know, resulted in, in promotion to the Premier League. So you have to give enormous credit to Paul Heckingbottom. He's done a fabulous job. And, you know, on paper, you know, in comparison to, to Vincent Company, you know, the other manager that's achieved automatic promotion this season, it's not exactly one of the, the sexiest names in, in football. I think we can be fair in saying that Paul Heckingbottom is not exactly a big name that, you know, has been promoted. Especially out of when you consider Sheffield United have got a history of those type of managers, exactly. Wilder, yeah. Warnock, Kanovic, for et instance, as well. Yeah, exactly. You know, you look at last season, obviously, Fulham went up with Marco Silva, you know, Forrest had obviously appointed Steve Cooper, being around a little bit, but Paul Heckingbottom, really the best of his work in the past has come in League One when he was at Barnsley. So huge credit to him, huge credit to Sheffield United. They, they fully deserve it. And, you know, we said, didn't we, two or three weeks ago, and we looked at their last crop of games that they got. They'd got four in a row at Bramall Lane. You know, they've won all four of those. They, they've been absolutely faultless at Bramall Lane this season. They've been, you know, they've been a winning machine, really at the lane, to, to be fair to them. They have been ever since Paul Heckingbottom got the job, really. I think they've only lost something like five league games, about 37, something like that. I've not got the direct numbers to hand at the moment. But I think when you look at United's pattern of results across the whole of this season, with the exception of a sticky patch in October when they went six without a win, that little blip they had around February, the beginning of March, when they lost four in six, they've been consistently strong. You know, you have to go back to the 4th of February for the last time Sheffield United actually drew a game. That was against Rotherham. So, you know, they have been a, you know, they've been a winning machine, really. And come to think of it, you look at United's results and I've not even realised, they've only actually drawn two games since October, which is quite remarkable, really. So, you know, they have been on that, you know, continuous trend. And like you said, they made it to the FA Cup semi-final. And a lot of people say that cup runs can damage things. Sheffield United, for them, it did the opposite. It spurred them on, gave them that injection of confidence. And, you know, they, they've done the job now. They will play Premier League football next season. They've joined Burnley. 
and they thoroughly deserve it. You know, they've they've done what they set out to do at the beginning of the season. And I think in some ways, they've potentially done it a lot easier than probably a lot of people would have anticipated. So well done to them. Thoroughly deserved. And for me, Paul Heckingbottom, I think, you know, he can be probably pretty, not unfortunate, but can probably be cursing himself that he's maybe not got the manager of the season award. Because I think what he's done in comparison to Vincent Company, even though Company's done an absolutely sterling job, I, I think, think Heckingbottom Heckingbottom is more worthy than Michael Carrick. Yeah, I would agree with that. Certainly, I would agree with that. You know, Borough, obviously, they've come from nowhere in the, in the grand scheme of things to do what they have done. They were massively underachieving been, before they were, got in, though. They were, but Heckingbottom, like you said, he's had them consistently up there all season long, done a tremendous job. I think changes will be needed in the summer, not en masse, but I think they do need to recruit, you know, quite a few quite a few new faces to strengthen that squad to, to be stabilised in the Premier League compared to the last time they were in there, certainly in the second season. But good luck to them. They've achieved it. They thoroughly deserve it. And, you know, they'll uh, they'll be a good addition to the Premier League, a good historic club back up there. Absolutely. Let's round off the top two while we're here. Burnley were crowned as champions in midweek. They beat Blackburn Rovers 1-0 at Ewood Park to do so. Manuel Benson is the RM Robin of the championship. He scored the exact same goal four games in a row against Rotherham, against Queen's Park Rangers, against Blackburn, and now against Bristol City. You know what he's going to do. You know what he's going to do, but quite clearly stopping him is is quite a different challenge. And he is the IEM Robin of this division, it would seem, although he's he's soon to depart it. Coming inside on the left foot and and a brilliant strike into the top corner. I think this one was probably the best of the four. Yeah, I think I can argue with that because, you know, he's, he's he's kind of gone a little bit deep with the run. He's had to get more of a whip on it to get it yeah, into that corner. right in the postage stamp. I mean, I was impressed by the one at Blackburn on Tuesday night, but the one he scored on Saturday at Ashton Gate was was better in my opinion. But, what you know, what a collection of goals. Through that four games in a row, that, that's pretty remarkable. And what a signing he's been overall. I think it's fair to say Burnley haven't been at their best since they got promoted, but they still picked up results. They were second best at Ewood Park, certainly until they scored in midweek, which is obviously a game I, I, I was at and watched. Uh, and again, you know, they were the better side in, in parts, brilliant bit of individual quality, but sloppy equaliser, which is a kind of goal they, they just wouldn't have conceded four weeks ago. And I'm fair enough to them. Like they, They've probably been on they've the lash it. for most they've of the last three weeks. They've earned it. They've been a phenomenal football team. And they still got the win, even though uh, Tommy Conway levelled. Jay Rodriguez pouncing on a misplaced pass from Alex Scott. That's that might be a that might be a souvenir, really, with the the way his career's progressing. Uh, to fire in his first goal since November, I couldn't believe that. I know he's been out for a while, but that that feels like a very long time. And Burnley two one winners at Bristol City, and and rightly champions of of the division. Now, things get a bit more interesting. We'll go to the bottom of the league first, Josh, because we've got two relegations that have been confirmed before final day. Firstly, Blackpool, they lost 3-2 to Millwall on Friday night and they were relegated. They did give it a good go, though, you have to say. Uh, a, a pretty bonkers game, back and forth, to and fro, that impacts the both ends of the table pretty strongly. Blackpool, in terms of the overall relegation and the picture of this season, they, they never recovered from sacking Neil Critch, uh, from Neil Critchley leaving, did they, of course, when he, when he suddenly left to go to Aston Villa. They never recovered from that. I think Michael Appleton was the wrong appointment, not necessarily because of Michael Appleton, but, you know, if Michael Appleton was Michael Appleton but called something else and hadn't been at Blackpool before, 
I think it could have been a success. It was the right profile of appointment, in my opinion, but I think there was just too much baggage and not enough water under the bridge. And ultimately, that meant that he was on borrowed time before he'd even started, really. Some fans will look beyond it, but as soon as the results start to go a little bit pear-shaped or a little bit orange-shaped, should I say, um, that's when the patience wore out pretty quickly. That said... I absolutely stand by my statement that they would have had a better chance of staying up with Michael Appleton in charge than Mick McCarthy. I thought it was a really weird time to make that change considering they just recruited players that fit Michael Appleton's style, people like Morgan Rogers, getting Josh Bowler back, you know, people who'd worked with Michael Appleton. Rogers would have come to work with Appleton having done so well there at Lincoln. So to sack him and bring in Mick McCarthy, who basically bombed out all the new signings, went 4-4-2, tried to play very low margin football. It didn't work. He got the boot before the end of the season. That was a terrible appointment. I've said so at the time. Mick McCarthy's not been a successful championship manager for too long now for me to have faith that he can suddenly turn, you know, what is a relegation worthy squad in terms of, you know, talent and money spent and budget. That's just a fact. Um, into something above that and he couldn't do it. There have been better signs under Stephen Dobby. They gave it a really good go against Millwall, you know, a, a penalty from Jerry Yates and a really great strike from Lewis Fiorini. But ultimately, Millwall were too strong and the championship's been too strong from Blackpool. So after two years, we will bid them farewell and they are back in League One for next season. Maybe under Stephen Dobby, maybe under a new regime. I do think Dobby's breathed some new life into them and certainly had them playing better in these last few weeks whether it's not enough for him to get the permanent job or whether they'll set their uh, net a little wider and look at maybe some other managers that are doing well at up-and-coming EFL clubs, we shall see. Yeah, definitely. And, you know, it's it's hindsight, isn't it, in football? It's a wonderful thing, but it makes you wonder, had they have sacked Mick McCarthy maybe two weeks, three weeks earlier, would they have had a better chance of staying up under Stephen Dobby? Because, you know, we we've spoken, haven't we, about... And obviously, we'll we'll go into them in more depth shortly. Wigan Athletic, they they showed a lot more spirit and fight once Sean Maloney came in, even if the results didn't match. And that's been the case for Stephen Dobby. The Blackpool was certainly a lot better under him. They got more umph about them. And you know, the the defeat to Millwall on Friday night, it was quite unfortunate. To be fair, wasn't it? They did play quite well in that game for long spells, but just Millwall just found there was little bit extra moments of quality and. Had Blackpool not given that penalty away so soon after getting themselves level at 2-2, would they have gone on to win that? Maybe, maybe not. They might have lived to fight another day. But, you know, they've had two seasons in the Championship. Last season, they punched well above their weight under Neil Critchley. They were superb. They were the surprise package of the season for many. And this season, obviously, they were derailed by Neil Critchley departing to go to Aston Villa, ahead, you know, well ahead of the season beginning. Mike Appleton came in, like you said, didn't scream the best appointment from you know previous connections with that club, and ultimately didn't quite work out. Then obviously they went to Mick McCarthy. I pretty foolishly said that that was a very good appointment. Thought they'd be fine under him. You were proven right on that one. I was very much mistaken. So one nil to you for that one. And then obviously Stephen Dobby's come in, you know, in the last four or five games, and he's given it a go. I think that's the best way you can put it for Stephen Dobby. He's given it a go. He's injected a little bit of confidence. Got a couple of good results, to be fair to him. And ultimately, they've just fallen that little bit short. So, really interesting to see what they do. Because, in one mind, I'm thinking, do they need yet more upheaval of another managerial appointment outside? 
But at the same time, Stephen Dobby, you know, as much as he's a bit of a cult hero at Blackpool for what he did in his playing days, do they risk sticking with him with his lack of managerial experience at this level? Do they, you know, go for somebody from outside who knows League One quite well and, you know, with the objection immediately of mounting an automatic promotion charge next season, is that going to be the objective? How much needs to be done? How much needs to be changed? There's a lot, you know, looking at it that you think needs to be changed for Blackpool. So, personally, I think they do need to recruit from outside, get somebody new in, fresh ideas, fresh face, and see where they go from there. Because at the end of the day, they've got they've got some good players with Blackpool individually who, at League One level, would do a very good job. I think it's just about now the case of having the right leader to, to glue it all together and, and see what happens next season. But hopefully this time round we won't be waiting as long for Blackpool to get back to the Champions when they were relegated back in 2015. Yeah, I completely agree. We'll touch on Millwall a little bit more in depth when we go on to the playoff picture. Wigan Athletic were relegated to George this weekend. Their fight to stay above water unfortunately came to an end with a late equaliser from Yaku Mate. It did look like Wigan was somehow going to take it to the last day, having took the lead through Charlie Hughes, his first goal for the team. But unfortunately, again, problems in the boardroom have ultimately led to Wigan's Wigan's demise after only winning the League One title 12 months ago. They're back in League One at the first time of asking. And I do put the entire blame of this relegation down to the people upstairs. Ultimately, they didn't give Liam Richardson enough backing in the summer to strengthen the squad because I do think the squad was close to, you know, certainly in the bottom five, bottom three perhaps in terms of quality in the league, even with him in charge. The decision to then sack Liam Richardson was absolutely bonkers, which I, which I said at the time. Appointing Colo Torre to play a, a style of football the squad wasn't built for and, and with the greatest respect, didn't have the quality to do mid-season. That was pretty bonkers as well. And then to lose three points, which ultimately might relegate them in the final reckoning for not paying your players on time. And just some of the decisions, like before, before they sacked Richardson, they'd given him a new three-year deal just weeks before. The only thing they have got right this season, I think, is appointing Sean Maloney. They've definitely been more improved, definitely more galvanised since he came in. Maybe that's a little bit given how disillusioned they probably felt under Colo Torre. And that might give them a bit of hope for next year. But given the struggles Wigan had off the field last time they were in the Championship, which led to their relegation, the way they bounced back in two seasons, I really hope the new ownership was, you know, with everything we'd seen from them in, in League One had been positive. They'd given... Richardson a decent budget to assemble that squad, but it was a League One squad that he'd built and it was there to you know get them up. It did. They didn't add to it. And then unfortunately, he got sacked and the decision to bring in Colo Toro was just bonkers. Like the, to do it mid-season, you know, it's one thing to go, we want a new style of play. I'm going to put my neck on the line and make this appointment. I can respect it to a certain degree, albeit I thought it was the wrong decision, but to do it mid-season with that group of players... That was, you know, that was suicide. It cost them seven games. That's all it lasted. And unfortunately, it was too late. They probably will end up only four or five points off safety. Three of those self-inflicted by the points deduction. So unfortunately, this, this you know, when you, you break down a club's relegation, usually there's a lot of facets and a lot of context that needs to be applied. But it's quite simple that this relegation and the book stops with the people in charge of making the key decisions at Wigan Athletic. Without any shadow of a doubt, mismanagement from the top has cost them. There's, there's no doubt about that. And I think the perfect 
sort of way to sum it up is what you mentioned, just to you know sum up of what a dismal season it's been off the pitch rather than off it, is the fact that they gave Liam Richardson such a lengthy contract just literally weeks before they pulled the trigger. That kind of summarises just how much of a pig's ear they made of it, at, you know, at the powers that be at Wigan. So, obviously, you you know, you've rattled through there a lot of the reasons why it's all gone wrong. Fully agree with everything you've said, and I think in some ways there are actually parallels with what happened with Sheffield Wednesday's relegation in twenty 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 one. Obviously, they were hit by a points deduction. They brought Tony Pulis in for a ten game period. And that completely destroyed them. They won one game during that time. Wigan had Colo Tour, I think it was for nine games. And that completely destroyed everything. So there are some parallels between the two in the way that they've, you know, obviously been relegated. But I think the shining light for Wigan, which, you know, any Wigan fans listening to this right now might think it's very hard to listen to and hard to stomach after being relegated on Saturday, is the fact that under Sean Maloney, like I said previously, they've shown a lot more commitment, heart and desire to, to suggest that they've got the right man in place for a, you know, hopefully a promotion push next season in League One again. So in that sense, you fear they have got the right man in place to lead the, the footballing side of things. It's off the pitch and upstairs where things need to significantly improve. Stability is obviously what the club is absolutely crying out for. They've had so much disruption off the pitch over the last few years. Points deductions, players not being paid on time, ownership issues, or, you know, everything you can imagine. So there's a lot to be done in that sense. But on the pitch, you do like to think Wigan have got the right man in charge to lead the team. They've got some good individuals, certainly for League One level. There's a few, obviously, that have struggled with the step up this season in quality. But at League One, you know, they, they're going to stand out as some of the best players in the league, to be fair to them. So you'd like to think that they, the building blocks are in place for an immediate promotion charge next season. Obviously, nothing's a guarantee. However... Wigan have proven themselves over the last few years to be the of the the League One specialists. So it'll be interesting to see how they respond. They'll certainly be relatively confident with how this season's ended in the sense that they've shown far more fight and hunger under Maloney, even though it wasn't quite enough to keep them keep them afloat. But nevertheless, like you said, the the book stops at the top. The the mismanagement has cost Wigan Athletic dearly this season. And you know, had it not been for that points deduction they would have still been in the fight now. Still, you know, certainly taking it into the final day, they would have had a chance of getting out of it ahead of, you know, what would have been a huge game against Rotherham. I know Rotherham play Monday as we record this some night, so it might not have been, you know, a big game like we're potentially saying it could be, but obviously there's so many factors in all of this as, we, as we're as saying. But ultimately, Wigan's relegation has been at a cost of the owners. The players, of course, have, have struggled to adapt to this, to this level. The quality's not been there for much of the season. However, when when the time has come to put up a fight in the last few weeks, they've certainly knocked down tools. They've given it a go and had that goal not gone in at Reading, of course, at the weekend, they would have still been in it with one game to go. Yeah, absolutely. And it's a bit of blow. For Reading, Credit obviously for not not beating a team in well below you in the league table, first and foremost, in, in a massive home game, you know, a big crowd at the select car leasing stadium, one of the biggest this season. They didn't really come to the races. They got a late equaliser. It wasn't enough, particularly when 24 hours later, George, they found out there were three points adrift of safety because Huddersfield Town pulled off their biggest result of the season. They beat Cardiff City 2-1 on Sunday in South Wales, and that puts them on the cusp of safety. They need one point from their last two games. If you're wondering why it's two games, they play Sheffield United at home. You know, the Neil Warnock derby against... 
Sheffield United side who have already secured promotion, their motivation levels might be slightly uh, dampened by further celebrations this weekend, I'm sure, on the bank holiday. And they need one point from their last two games. They also play Reading on the last day of the season, if you weren't aware, which I actually think is more of a benefit to Reading than Huddersfield, really. Because ultimately, Reading know if Huddersfield lose against Sheffield United, which ultimately is still likely, then Reading know they've got to win at Huddersfield regardless. So I, I do think that helps. But in this game, they took their chances. A really good goal from Hungbo, jumping on a on a poor pass from Vermeer Sawyers, skipping past Cedric Kipri and firing into the back of the net for 1-0. And then an own goal from Jack Simpson for two with Matty Pearson again on the end of another set piece. His return to full fitness has been absolutely vital for this Huddersfield town for this Huddersfield Town recovery. And they could have had more, George. They were 3-0 up. Uh, they had a chance to go 3-0 up with Karoma hitting the post and then the rebound hit the post as well. That that looked like it could have proved costly at one point because Isaac Davis made it 2-1. But they hung out a really, really big victory for Huddersfield and Neil Warnock, especially after the form had dipped a little bit after that, that instant bounce that they got. I think they'll stay up. I really do. I think I don't. I mean, ultimately, if they lose to Reading, then they've only got themselves to blame. To have got themselves on the cusp of safety in the way they have, Warnock's done a f- fantastic job. If he keeps them in the league, George, do you think this is his greatest achievement? Because I've seen a lot of people say that. I don't think it is actually. I think that him keeping Rotherham up when he did what was that sixteen okay, seventeen maybe 16, I think I think that was a greater fifteen sixteen. I think that was a greater achievement only because. That Rotherham side was a worse squad, in my opinion. They were in a worse state as a club when he took over. I think the teams from memory around them were better than the very poor group of teams that are around Huddersfield. And Rotherham really were dead and buried. I think it was their first season as well, back in the championship. Uh, second season, sorry, Steve Evans kept, kept them up in the first year. So I think the Rotherham job was slightly eclipsed, even if he keeps Huddersfield up. But he has done an amazing job. I'm intrigued to see to know what you and, and our listeners well, think I've, about just that. Just funny enough, as you've been talking about that, I've actually got up the um, pattern of results that Rotherham had under Neil Ward. I'll call them years ago, and in the end, he kept them up by nine points. It's actually staggering. Actually, looking at that, that they only finished two points behind Fulham that season, who finished twentieth. It's remarkable. I think they beat. I think they beat MK Dons, who were their local... Yeah, they did. They beat them 4-0 away from home. That, funnily enough, was the last win of the season. They didn't pick up a single win in any of the last five after that. I think that that had secured them safety, really. Winning, you know, they they won at home to Leeds. They beat Middlesbrough, obviously, that season, were promoted automatically. You know, he he had a real bounce effect there after going in in mid-February. Similar sort of time to when he went into the job at Huddersfield. So it's kind of similar sort of, you know, time frame that he had to turn things around. Obviously, you know, I can't remember the full ins and outs of that Rodham squad and every little minor detail because, you know, it was seven years ago. I remember a Greg Halford playing CDM, which was an interesting move. Warnock Masterclass. On the left wing. Um, but no, the, what he's done with Huddersfield, first and foremost, is, you know, the job's not done yet. We, we should stress that. The job is not done yet. You know, they could still go down. Unlikely, I think you would argue now, it is unlikely, but the job is not mathematically done just yet. They need one more point from those two games, as you've said. However, like he said when he went into that job, that he was a bloody idiot for taking it on. Those were his exact words. But my word, he's done Neil Warnock things again. 
It's as simple as that. He has galvanised a group of players that, let's be honest, looked absolutely dead and buried. They were playing such awful football. There was no sort of mood or spirit around the whole football club. He's gone in there and lifted that. Yes, it's not been plain sailing. He has had some, you know, he's had some bad results in there. But ultimately, if they get that point, he's gone in there and achieved the objective that he was set to do. And, you know, I'm, I'm pretty confident that he's going to do it now with two games left. So, a remarkable achievement. I, I'm, to be honest with you, I'm finding it hard to suggest whether it is better than the Rotherham one, purely because I don't have such a good recollection of that all, all the way back there. And like I say, with the circumstance and the points and everything, but looking as though he, he survived that one with nine points clear of danger in the end, that could suggest that that one was maybe a little bit better in the fact he managed to pull them so far clear of the drop in the end. So you could argue his Rotherham great escape was, was better of the two. Nevertheless, this has been remarkable what he's done with Huddersfield. Obviously, to go to Cardiff, obviously buoyed by that win at Rotherham in the week that kept them up. To go there, get three points, is is a remarkable result, to be fair, because you looked at it and you thought, could pressure have got to them? Clearly, it didn't. They found a way in the second half, you know, clinical finish for a hungbo. And then, obviously, the second came along, bit scruffy, bit scrappy, but they're the sort of goals that keep you up. And that is effectively what he's going to do it for Huddersfield. So, a big game potentially with Reading on the final day if they do lose to Sheffield United in midweek, where obviously a point for them would make it all the sweeter. And as we record this on Sunday night, Huddersfield fans will, of course, be keeping a close eye on Rotherham tomorrow lunchtime, Monday lunchtime, when they play Middlesbrough. A win for Rotherham would take them back above Huddersfield. A draw would take them back above them on goal difference. So, there's still one or two little things that Huddersfield need to keep an eye on. But I think, to be honest with you, I will be very, very surprised if they are relegated now, I think the job is done, but you can never say never in this division, certainly on the final day with a fixture of such significance. Yeah, 95% of the way there, I think it's fair to say. George, we'll, we'll turn our attentions back to the playoff race, which is obviously the other undecided piece of information in the championship table. We'll just quickly touch on Millwall, as we said, we, we touched on their win against Blackpool from a Blackpool angle. From a Millwall angle, really big win for them to kickstart the weekend on the Friday. All the pressure was on them. Obviously, a horrific week, losing to Birmingham and Wigan previously. Changed the system, went back to a, the, the back three. Ryan Leonard playing as a right-sided centre-half, obviously more naturally a midfield player, which in re- reality, it was more of a back four in possession and, and, and he was given full licence to bomb on, particularly in that right channel. Some nice combinations with Shackleton at right wing back and uh, Zian Fleming, who plays sort of to the right of a 3-4-3. And you saw that with the first goal, which was a really nice move. Leonard getting the cross in, Bradshaw with a predatory finish. And I thought Millwall really good value. Wantmore did well down that that sort of attack, that left inside channel. Callum Styles and Shackleton gave good width and energy as the wing-backs. And I thought Millwall looked good. I think, amazing start, I think something like, I think it was 11 of their last 15 goals have either been scored by Bradshaw or Fleming which obviously underlines how reliant they've been on those two players this season. Bradshaw getting a brace in this game. Second goal, really nice finish. Player in confidence. Lovely little dink over Dan Grimshaw for, I think that was for 2-1, wasn't it? So, really, really big win for Millwall at a crucial time. And that lifted them up to fifth at the time. But they're now back in sixth, George, because Coventry City, they're back in fifth. They beat Birmingham 2-0 at the... um, Coventry Not the Rico Building Arena Society Arena. Stadium it's a bit of a mouthful. There we go. 
That that's the fatigue. That's the fatigue setting in that we spoke about at the top of the podcast. I do know what the stadium's called. I've said it all season. I forgot. Coventry back on the brink of finishing the top six, George, for the first time in a while. Uh, they beat Birmingham two nil, and you know when it's a big crowd, when you're expected to win. We've seen Birmingham play the role of party poopers recently at Millwall. Beat Blackburn as well since the international break. So to get an early lead, third minute through Josh Eccles, one of your own, really nice finish inside the box. That settled the nerves. That calmed everyone down. That 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 just made everyone just a collective sigh of relief. <sighs> Gokker has then made it 2-0 before half-time. I thought the penalty looked a bit soft. No one seemed to really appeal for the handball. That doesn't mean it's not handball. I, I don't know. It didn't look like a penalty to me, really. Certainly not. I don't have the, any more cutting in Genesis. It just didn't quite look convincing, clear cut one you've ever seen. Not to say it wasn't. It certainly wasn't like Surrey's no, last week. Not to say it wasn't a penalty, given. but it certainly wasn't one of those where you watched it and instantly thought that's a spot kick. You had to, you know, you had to kind of look at it and yeah. focus on it for a few seconds. Yeah, definitely. Ultimately, Coventry then saw the win. The win. They deserved the victory. 2-0 comfortable. And they've timed the run just right. We, we gave them all the superlatives last weekend. It's another win to add on to that tally. They've sorted the off-field problems out. They've got their stadium secure for the next five years. That, that's been announced this week. And it's just a good time to be a Sky Blue. You've got a manager that's really likeable. You've got star players that, yes, they might leave. But if they leave, they'll go for good fees. You'll be able to reinvest that. And with great respect, if, if Coventry don't get up and they lose... Harmer and they lose Giocares, they'll go, you know, onto bigger and better things and, and with the well wishes of the fans, I think. And they'll be able to reinvest that money and, and use it wisely. I think it's just a really good time to be a commentary fan. It's all there's a lot to like about this story, a lot to like about the football club that's really been on its knees in not that recent, not too distant time. So for them to be, you know, very close to securing a playoff place, I think it's quite easy as a neutral to to really like Coventry City. And I know you certainly last season, but this season as well, you've adopted them as your almost your your championship favourite team, and it's easy to see why really because they've got good players that are likable. They've got a manager that's very good, and it's a good fan base that's had to deal with its struggles, but on the up again. So, really, really good time to without be a, a doubt. Fan. And you have to look back at what Coventry have achieved over the last six, seven seasons, and just to run through some numbers: twenty sixteen seventeen, they were relegated from League One in 23rd place to League 2. So League 2, 2017 onwards, they finished 6th in League 2, got promoted by the playoff final. 2018-19, 8th in League 1. The following season, won League 1. 2020-21, first season back in the Championship, 16th. Last season, 12th. This season, who knows, 5th, 6th, 7th maybe. Hopefully not for them. But again, it it shows continued improvement of a football club that's got a, a good plan in place to move forward. And Mark Robbins, first and foremost, before you talk about Gustavo Hamer, Victor Jokeres, people like that, Mark Robbins is by far and away Coventry City's biggest asset. He has done an absolutely phenomenal job over the last few years. As I said there, with all them positions I've just read out, gradually building the club forward, taking them forward, year-on-year improvement. And, you know, even if they don't finish in the playoffs this season, as gutting as it will be having come this far with, you know, one game left, they can still reflect on it with a great amount of pride for how well they've done against the backdrop of so many issues financially, the upheaval with the stadium. There was them years ago when they were playing at Northampton. Then they were playing at Birmingham when they first got back into the championship. You know, they've had to face a hell of a lot of crap over the last few years as a fan base. It's been, they, They've had a rough time of it, let's be honest. 
So if they finish inside the playoff places, what an achievement it would be. You mentioned Jokeres Gustavo Hamer a few moments ago. It almost feels like that if Coventry don't go up, they're certain to lose those two. And it will be a crying shame because they are... They might be able possibly, to keep they are Coventry's, you know, They are their star players. They're their star attractions on the pitch. Obviously, Mark Robbins off it, you know, massive asset. However, on the pitch, those two are the go-to that everybody talks about. So, Jokerez, I mean, if they don't go, the chance of keeping him are incredibly slim. Into double figures for goals as well as assists now. He has had a remarkable season. Harmer the same. So, it's Coventry's to lose. We know that. They're in a very good position heading into the final day. They are obviously be keeping a very close eye on events at Ewood Park on Monday tea time when Blackburn face Luton. If Blackburn lose that game or even draw it because of the goal difference, Blackburn won't be able to catch Coventry. You know, a draw would put Blackburn three points behind, but the goal difference is, is that significant. They wouldn't be able to turn it around with one fixture left. So Blackburn have got to win to, you know, stop Coventry in that sense. So at the moment, Coventry obviously can still be caught by Millwall, Sunderland and West Brom. West Brom are five behind on goal difference of Coventry at the minute, three points behind. So that's not an easy one. But, you know, if they were to win 2-0, Coventry were to lose 3-0 at Middlesbrough, it could be swung. But as I said on last week's episode, it's in the back of my mind, potentially, could Michael Carrick field a weakened team for Middlesbrough on the final day, looking ahead to the playoffs? He, of course, rotated things against Luton last Monday night. We've not spoken since then. Obviously, Borough lost that game, but did play very well to their credit. They were the better side in that in that game. So I have to fancy Coventry at the moment. I really do. But obviously, if Blackburn win tomorrow, Monday, as we record this, there'll be a point behind them. That just adds a little bit of tension. And obviously, Blackburn go to Millwall on the final day. I mean, what, what a cracker that's going to be. Who knows how this is going to go? But I think Coventry at the moment, they sit fifth. They sit at the top of the pile in terms of this pack chasing fifth and sixth. They're in a good position. They've got a lot of confidence in the camp at the moment. And as you've said as well, the fact that they did that on Saturday seemingly so easily with obviously that bumper crowd against Birmingham, who, like you said, have you know they've, they've been able to throw a spanner in the works in the last few weeks for certain teams. Coventry just coasted their way through it. They got the job done. They're very, very difficult to score against. It must be said 20 clean sheets, by the way, for Ben Wilson. Now, big credit to him. He's played a big role in this as well. You've got to credit him. So let's just see what happens. But at the moment... As I say, we're recording this Sunday night ahead of the Blackburn game. I would be very surprised if Coventry do do not finish inside the top six. You can't rule it out because of the goal difference and many things like that. But I'm confident. And as a neutral, I really hope they do it because I think their fans, after all the pain and misery they've had to put up with over the last, you know, over the last decade, really, maybe longer, they deserve this moment. So best of luck to them against Middlesbrough on the final day. And we'll see what happens. But whatever happens, Mark Robbins, what a job that man has done. Let's pe- let's fill in a few of the gaps. Blackburn Rovers are guaranteed to finish in the top six, George, if they win their last two games. That is a fact because they play Millwall on the last day. If they draw against Luton Town on, on Monday and beat Millwall, they have a chance, but they're dependent on results elsewhere. No matter what they do against Luton, they've got to beat Millwall. Like, there's no there's no way Blackburn finishing the top six without beating Millwall because of the goal difference. So that's what it comes say, down to. How do you feel there in eight Monday? I mean, neither of us, even though you cover Blackburn, neither of us support a championship club. Next Sunday night, I think I'm going to be like a kid on Christmas Eve because next Monday could be packed with so much drama. 
It depends what yeah, it depends what happens tomorrow. Point. It really does. If if Rovers beat Luton, I know that they'll be in the top six by beating Millwall. If Rovers draw, they'll still have a chance, but they'll need a favour from Preston to beat or take points off Sunderland plus West Swans in the final day. Not easy. They're at Swansea. They West Brom are on 66, on? same on as Sunderland. And obviously, yeah, both so they'd be on the same points. So, yeah, again, it would be they'd, they'd need a favour on goal difference from, from West Brom. So, I think if they beat Luton, I think I'll, I'd feel you know, that it's there for them. But it's been there for them a lot this season and they've thrown it away ultimately. Not If they don't get up, ultimately, it'll come down to the points they dropped against Coventry and Preston and the fact they didn't sign a striker in January in the wider context of the club. For Sunderland, George, as well, they've given themselves a really good chance. They look like they might well have been out of it until a last-minute equaliser from Patrick Roberts, a brilliant finish into the top corner to make it 2-all. They were 2-0 down, of course, thanks to um, goals from Porteous to make it 2-0. And I've completely forgot who scored Watford's uh, first Cavazzelli. goal. Cavaselli, that's right, a header from a corner. There's the fatigue setting in again. And it felt like a very, I really did think this was going to be a draw because it was a very, again, a very Tony Mowbray result to beat a team completely out of form, out of motivation, and to draw at home. They've not been great at home, Sunderland, at all this season. They've got, I think, going into the weekend, they've got the 16th best home record in the division. So not ideal at all in the in the bottom two thirds, which when you consider the expectation at that club and, and the fan base that gets behind them at every home game, perhaps it's a little bit too much for some of these young players. They go to Preston on the final day. It's going to be interesting. They've got to win at Deepdale and hope that results go for them elsewhere. As I say, a lot depends on what Blackburn do against Luton. That is really the elephant in the room that, that stops us really putting this jigsaw together. And of course, West Brom are still in, the sh- in with a shout, George, because they beat Norwich City 2-1 to take it to the final day as well. A comeback win. Um, through Connor Townsend with a really good free kick and, and a Jed Wallace winner after uh, Josh Sargent had given Norwich City the lead. They're out of it now. They did, they weren't good enough, were they, Norwich, ultimately? They, they've been a real damp script. Had it not been for how poor Watford had been, Norwich would be getting a far, far greater amount of scrutiny for being one of the poorest sides to come down with parachute payments and, and do absolutely nothing in the season. They, they, they haven't been befitting of a side good enough to challenge for the playoffs, really. Neither them or Watford deserve to be above like ninth place, if we're being completely honest, for, for how poor they've both been, considering the size of the squads and budgets that they've had. Although neither of them really spent loads in the summer. It was more about consolidation, but they kept hold of Puki Sargent, kept hold of Joao Pedro, Ismail Assad. They've both been massive letdowns, but a massive win for, for West Brom, a big win for Carlos Corbrand. They are outsiders, definitely, on the last day but they're still in with a chance and that's definitely something West Brom fans probably didn't expect to be able to say when they lost 2-1 to Sunderland Yeah, definitely. Weekend. And like we said, well, I said a few moments ago with, with Coventry, their, West Brom's goal difference behind Coventry is currently five and obviously they can only equal Coventry's points value of 6-9. So I think if West Brom are going to get in there, it's going to be by claiming sixth. Obviously, they've got to go to Swansea and win and hope and pray that others slip up. So... They are certainly outsiders in this race. Just ahead of them, on equal points, Sunderland, you mentioned obviously that fight back against Watford on Saturday, gave themselves a chance again. They're going to have to go to Preston and win on the final day, require for one or two favours from elsewhere. But I think it's just important to mention on Sunderland, 
and I think it's important to make this point clear, if they don't get in the top six, of course, there'll be disappointment around the Stadium of Light. But nevertheless, what a season they've had. I think it's fair to say if they finish you know, seventh or eighth, they've had a remarkable campaign. They were in League One last season. They've had four years in League One. Absolutely. It's easy to forget that because of the size of the football club. Expectations, of course, are very, very high. But like you said, Sunderland are a young squad. They're a young team. Tony Mowbray has done a fabulous job since taking over from Alex Neal at the end of August. And ultimately, if they were to finish, well, they are going to finish inside the top 10, that would be a massive achievement. Obviously, they want the playoffs. They've got every right to go for the playoffs. They're still in the hunt. But it wouldn't be disastrous in the sense it would be certainly come under more scrutiny if West Brom missed out. There's obviously a lot higher expectations there at the start of the season than there was at Sunderland. And so for Sunderland, we'll see what happens with them. West Brom, like you said, they got past Norwich. They got the job done. Norwich, they've been very, very poor. I would argue that they are one of the clubs that faces the biggest reset in the summer. That squad's stagnated. It's been too similar for too long. There are question marks over David Wagner. Will he stay? Will he go? There's a lot of work to be done at Carrow Road this summer, regardless of who the manager is. So this playoff race, it's going to, as we predicted weeks and weeks and weeks ago, it's going down to the final day. There's bound to be a twist or a turn somewhere. Millwall, Blackburn, particularly if Blackburn win on Monday, get a draw on Monday, there's going to be so much attention on that fixture next Monday afternoon. And as a neutral, it's going to be very, very entertaining to keep a close eye on. But I just wish every team in this battle all the best. They've they've contributed to a thrilling race. It's been tight. It's been cagey for months. We, we said it was going to go all the way and it's going to happen like that. So may the best team win. It's as simple as that. It's see who's got the bottle, who's got the strength, who's got the courage to get through it. And let's see what happens because... Like I say, we knew this was going to happen. It's been tight all season. And let's just see who can get over that finish line with obviously one game to go, two for Blackburn. Who's That's got the, the balls to do it? That's the question. That's what it comes down to, the knackers. Moving away now, a little bit of you know <laughs> mid-table fun, a result that means absolutely nothing to anyone. Stoke City nil at Queen's Park Rangers 1. George, the most interesting thing for me is that having won at Burnley with 16% possession. They've gone to Stoke and won with 20% possession. And I'm going to read you out the number of completed passes by each Queen's this Park Rangers starting player. Um, 6, 4, 4, 2, 10, 5, 8, 6, 10, 7, 7. Between the two central midfielders, they completed 14 passes. Even the two centre-backs, which is where you sometimes see most of the completed passes, there was only 6 the two highest were Ilias Chair and Kenneth Powell down that left-hand side that both completed 10 each. I think it's fair to say we know where this squad needs to go next season. They obviously secured survival with the win. They won 1-0. You know, we're taking the piss, obviously, but ultimately this is how Ainsworth plays and ultimately he has been very successful with Wickham Wanderers in doing so. He's got to get back to, to bring in the right players this summer or QPR will go down next season if they do not have the players to play this kind of football because... If you don't, you will get. They will get relegated. That that is an absolute fact. But if they do, you know, he nearly kept Wickham up, and he's shown he can do it successfully. You know, they've won the last two games playing very attritional football, and we spoke about the summer rebuild. They've just got to back him in the summer and do what he wants because otherwise, it's just pointless, and you'll get relegated ultimately, or you'll end up ripping and sacking by October, November. So. 
really interested to see what they do. Obviously, they won the game. Good finish from Albert Adoma to win them that. Stoke again, all the good feelings gone. God knows what is wrong with that football club. I don't know what they'll look like in 12 months. You think they've turned a corner and then they lose at home to Wigan and QPR. And you're just like, what What was the point in that? Why did you do that? It's like that Simpsons meme. Uh, not Simpsons meme, it's like the in-betweeners meme where he's like, why did you do that? It's like funny. It's like that's Stoke City, really. I don't know what to make of them. QPR got to get the summer right, got to back Ainsworth ultimately. I don't like this style of football. I don't think it's particularly successful, but he did it with Wickham, did a good job, nearly kept him up. He's got better players at QPR, but ultimately it's the decision that QPR have made, so they've, they've got to back him. Yeah, certainly. And we said, didn't we, when he went into that job, that it was going to be a long-term project. And he would have hoped for a few more wins in between when he got the job in the end of the season. He's only won three games. But ultimately, he has achieved the objective. He has kept QPR in the championship. However, however disappointed in the way that he's done it, he has done it. And, you know, the stats don't lie. He has kept them up. So you've got to say well done to Gareth Ainsworth. It's not been pretty. It's not been plain sailing for him, but he's done the job. But like you say, there is a, a lot of work to be done at that football club this summer to align the, the squad with the manager's methods and his way of playing. There are many, many changes that need to be implemented and, it's going to be really interesting to see what they do this season because the fans, you know, we know the Gareth Ainsworth style of football. It's it's not pleasant. It's not pretty. But for the most part at Wickham, it was effective. So QPR fans are probably going to be very intrigued, I think is the correct word, to see what is going to be done over the summer. You can expect quite a few changes, but they'll just be hoping that they can endure a, a less stressful season next year. It's been a remarkable remarkable drop-off that they've experienced. If you'd have told them after 10, 15 games that you'd be fighting for survival and keeping the club in the division with, you know, on the penultimate weekend of the season, they'd have, they'd have laughed at you. However, it, it has happened in the way it has. So they've got the job done. They've stayed afloat. And Gareth Ainsworth now needs to look forward rather than back and see what he can do in the summer because... For all the reasons I've said, they need to, you know, align that squad with his methods, with his thinking, with his philosophy. And at the moment, there aren't that many players that you would say do fit with his criteria and his way of playing. So, a lot, uh, a lot to be done. But they've kept their heads above water. They've got the job done with two rather unlikely away wins. Certainly the Burnley one. But as for Stoke, they've absolutely fallen off the edge of a cliff. And when you consider on the first of April. They hammered Coventry away from home 4-0 exactly a month ago. You cannot believe they went to Coventry and won 4-0. Since then, their results, they've lost 2-1 to Bristol City, a 0-0 draw with Birmingham, a 2-1 defeat to West Brom, a 1-0 defeat to Wigan, a 1-1 draw with Cardiff and a 1-0 defeat to QPR. They've just absolutely imploded. Even though they had nothing to play for, they've just fell off the edge of a cliff. And for Stoke, like you said, what is wrong with that football club? Because they are just not making the progress that you think they're going to make every year. think they'll kick on. It's just not happening. Absolutely massive, massive summer for them next uh, next summer, should I say. Get my teeth out. This coming summer, should I say. There we go. But yeah, I got there in the end. You got there in the end, George. One draw in the championship this weekend. Hull City won, Swansea won. Two teams going into the summer with a bit of optimism. I'm cautious about Swansea because I know how um, self-destructive that board can be and can 
the mood at that football club can change quite quickly, it's fair to say, given you know, we thought Russell Martin might be the next manager sacked probably seven weeks ago when the pressure was building on him and the and the board, absolutely. I think of the two, I think Hull will probably would be a better bet for next season. They've got the finances to to try and challenge again with uh, Azran Ilajai, who put quite a lot of money into the club last season. I like Liam Rossini. I think that we've seen some good positive bits of play from him. He's a good coach, clearly, with a good CV. With the right financial backing and with the right support, and by the right support, I also mean someone who's not going to sign players for him and interfere, but going to work with him and give him the resources. I think Hull could be a threat on the top 10 next season. Swansea, I think they've got the capabilities ultimately, but consistency comes down to it. Having any sort of backbone in the transfer market, both to keep your best players and to try and build on the squad also comes into that. In terms of the game itself, Swansea obviously took the lead. Uh, Hull took, took an early lead. Good equaliser by um, by Kundal to, to make it one apiece. And interest to see what happens with the yeah, two Yeah, definitely. There's... There's been progress made by both, certainly Swansea in the latter stages of the season. I think they've taken 20 points from the last 24 on offer, which is quite a remarkable achievement considering, like you said a few weeks ago, we thought Russell Martin could well have been the latest manager to get the boot. So they've ended the season very, very strongly. Ultimately, they've fallen short of the playoffs, but the fact that they were even in the playoff conversation, even as very, very brief outsiders uh, on the penultimate weekend, was an achievement in itself from where they were. So I think Russell Martin could take a lot of courage and a lot of heart from what he's achieved over the last four or five weeks. But like so many other clubs, there's a lot of work to be done in the summer. They do, for me, need a little bit of investment. And you can guarantee that there are going to be clubs sniffing around Joel Pirro. He's had a really good season again. He's been an excellent buy, by the way, since he came from PSV head of last season. He's been one of the signings of the you know the last few years in the Championship. He's been absolutely superb. So you know they'll have a job on their hands to keep hold of him. Nevertheless, they have got some good other players in there. And with the right right investment, you feel Swansea could kick on next season. They could mount a genuine playoff charge. They can bridge that gap to the top six and be a little bit closer than they were this time. As for Hull, Liam Rossini has overseen a lot of good work since he took that job on. He's really transformed their home form. I think that's the biggest takeaway that you can see. They've been very, very strong at home, been very hard to score against at home. And that's got to be encouragement for him moving forward ahead of the summer. He's another manager that will need a little bit of help in, in the transfer market financially. But with the right tools, we've seen from Liam Rossini, he's got the makings of being a really, really good manager. So really intrigued to see what both of these clubs do over the summer. But ultimately, they've had solid seasons, not the best seasons. Certainly, from a Swansea's perspective, they would have hoped for more at the beginning of the campaign. But from where they were, they have recovered quite well to give them optimism ahead of next season. So... Looking forward to see what they're doing this summer. But ultimately, for Swansea, they could still have a very big say in the playoff race on the final day. So they'll be hoping to sign off with a with a good result. They've been in good form lately. But it's all about the summer now for them and Russell Martin. Just before we finish off, George, Ipswich Town and Plymouth Argyle were both confirmed as promoted to the Championship this weekend. We've not seen either of them in the Championship for a few years. They've both been exceptional in League One this season racking up the points. Um, obviously, you're a Sheffield Wednesday fan who who could finish on 96 and not and get automatically year. promoted. So it's a bit slow and a bit as painful well, right now. <laughs> yeah. But um, what a fantastic job those two clubs have done this season. I'm genuinely looking forward to having them in the Championship next season. It'll be good to have two big clubs 
with good fan bases and, and have both, you know, been through their relative struggles recently and, and coming out and really look like they, they do have the capabilities of, of kicking on. You know, if you had to put a gun to me and say, will they both stay up this time next year? I'd be more likely to say yeah, yes than I no. Think I think I would agree with that. Both of them, have, you know, them two and Sheffield Wednesday, they've contributed to an absolutely thrilling League One promotion race. And it was unfortunate that one of the three has had to miss out. And unfortunately for me and you, it had to be our club, which was always destined because it was the Wednesday way. So we're already uh, preparing for the playoffs. But for Plymouth and Ipswich, they've been relentless this season. They really have. Ipswich, since February, 13 wins in 14, 43 goals scored and conceded two. Ipswich, first and foremost, you look at them as, with no disrespect to the Plymouth, the bigger of the two clubs coming up, probably got the greater financial clout. They spent quite a bit of money in January and it's that seemingly that that's got them over the line. They've got a really good pool of attackers, Connor Chaplin, Nathan Broadhead, Freddie Ladapo obviously knows his way around the Championship. Then you're looking to midfield, Sam Morsey, Massimo Luongo. There's a real good spine there for Kieran McKenna yeah, to build on. Plymouth that they have been knocking on the door for so long. And it's, it's um, unbelievable to think that it's 13 years since Plymouth dropped out of the Championship. 13 years they've waited to get back. They've been... I think it, it was Newcastle that it relegated was, them. It was very much Newcastle. They lost 2-0 at Home Park, I think, on a Monday night to relegate them. Yeah. I thought it was a Monday night. It, it, Why it, do we remember really weird, weird isn't it? It is. Bear in mind, me and you back then probably were doing about what? 11, 10 or 11 years old. It's quite weird. <laughs> um, but yeah, they've, and, and I think the thing for Plymouth, which will be really interesting to look at this summer, is that they have been kind of the masters of the lower league of perfecting recruitment. They've been so smart with loan signs, particularly this season. Ballymumba been exceptional. Morgan Whitaker until he got recalled by Swansea, was absolutely superb. Uh, Finizaz on loan from Aston Villa has been really impressive. So it'll be interesting. I think Plymouth have got more work to do than Ipswich in terms of recruitment. But you look at Plymouth's track record over the last few years of recruitment and you do back them to get it right. They've really perfected that art. So both are really welcome additions to the championship. Like you said, they're the two clubs that we've not obviously had in this division, certainly in Ipswich's case, for a few years. And Plymouth, obviously, it's been a very, very long road back for them. So they'll be really welcome additions to the championship next season. And like you said, I think at the moment you would be more looking on the side of that they are going to stay up rather than be relegated. So we'll we'll discuss more of them in depth, won't we, throughout the summer during the off-season. But welcome back to them. Huge achievement. And obviously all attention now switches to the League One playoffs where four teams will obviously battle it out for that final spot to join the pair of them. And it'll be really interesting to see how that goes. Obviously, myself and you are, are desperate for one outcome. But we shall see what happens. We will remain impartial as we can when the time comes to talk about the winner of that playoff battle and we'll see what happens. But for Plymouth and Ipswich, two very welcome additions. Ipswich being, as I said, absolutely relentless in the last three, four months. And like you said, they've probably got a little bit of clout there in the summer to spend some money and bring some really good players into the club. So well done to them, well done to Plymouth. And next season's already slowly beginning to take shape. This is the Championship Chat Podcast. We'll move on, George, now to our shocks and bankers for the final weekend of the championship season. It's here. I can't believe it's flown by. What, 45 games of fun, all done and dusted with one. Oil's down to this. It all comes down to this. This sounds like a Sky Sports advert. What have you gone for for your shock and for your banker? Well, looking at it, for my banker, 
I'm going to go with Burnley to sign off with a flourish. They'll get the hand on the trophy at the end of the afternoon. They're at home to Cardiff City. So I'm going to go for Burnley to sign off with that victory and get the job done. In terms of my shock for the final day, quite difficult one to pick out, I must admit, to be honest with you. So I'm going to go complete potluck at random and I'm going to go for Blackpool to win at Norwich to, to sign off on a high before they prepare for life back in League One. I'm going to go for Coventry to win at Middlesbrough as my shock. Can I have that as a shock? It's at the Riverside. Yeah, Middlesbrough being very strong at home. I think, obviously, it depends a lot on what sort of team Michael Carrick puts out. Yeah, oh. which is kind of why I'm... Yeah, I don't know. It's The final day, though, has the tendency to bring up a shock or two. And you know what the final day in this league is like? It can present many, many twists. If you're willing to go for it, it'll be you that faces the criticism, so you go ahead. Coventry to beat Borough is my shock. I think motivation comes into this a lot. I think that Middlesbrough have looked a little bit more vulnerable of late. Carrick's quite clearly not that arse, given he played Mark Bowler on the left wing at Luton. So I'm going to go for Coventry to win at Middlesbrough. And for my banker, I'm also going for Burnley to beat Cardiff. Again, motivation level's quite low for both teams, but I think Burnley will want to go out on a high. Cardiff, not really arse. They've stayed up. Didn't beat Huddersfield at home. Don't see them going to win at Turf Moor either. So that marks the end of this week's Championship Chat podcast. Please make sure you are subscribed to this podcast feed wherever you get your podcast from and you get the latest episode from us every single week. Make sure you follow us on Twitter and Instagram, closing in on 10,000 followers on the Twitter. So make sure you go and follow us if you haven't already. We'll have loads of analysis and updates on the final day of the season. So make sure you go and check that out. You really are missing out if you're a championship fan and not following us on Twitter. The final day, while you'll be sweating your way through Blackburn Millwall, terrified of what might the outcome is, I'll be back at base tapping my laptop keys away, keeping you all posted. And I'll be honest with you. Mate, you'll be I keeping will, me posted. I'll be, I'll, I be, I'll have two two uh, two tabs open. I'll be, I'll have about 12 I wouldn't want to be truth, but... anywhere else next Monday afternoon. I've even requested to be on the early shift at work so that I can finish in time for the kickoff. That's how dedicated I am to this podcast. And this so week. if you don't want Can't to do wait. it for me, do it for George. Go and follow us on Twitter. Get us me. to 10,000 by the end of the Yep, end we of are the nearly season. there. That's what we're As we for. speak, we're 95 away. We are closing in on the big 10K. Certainly by end of the month. Tell your friends about us. Yeah, by the end of May, we'll do it easy before playoffs uh, finish. A huge thanks as always as well to our sponsors, Cards Accepted. Without them, this wouldn't be possible. So big thanks for their backing and looking forward to continuing that next season too. Make sure you go and check them out for your business needs at cardsaccepted.co.uk. Thank you for listening and we'll catch you next week for what will be the final full episode of the Championship Chat podcast in the 2022-23 season. This is the Championship Chat podcast, your home of news, views and debate from England's second tier.